Thanks for joining me for the second half of Romans 4. As always, I'll be reading in the Phillips translation. The ancient promise made to Abraham and his descendants that they should eventually possess the world, and actually, let's stop right there, shall we? Last week, in the last podcast, we charted the course from Abram's initial call through his travels, through his battles, through his relationship with Lot, through his steadfast trust, until that moment in Genesis 15, 6, when we read these words, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. That statement is really the focal point of the first half of this chapter, Romans 4. And now this the ancient promise made to Abraham and his descendants that they should eventually possess the world. I would argue that that is what this second half of this chapter is about, about how faith is also the necessary ingredient to possess the promises. And what, for Abraham, were these ancient promises? Let's take a 10-chapter journey through Genesis. Get comfortable. Here we go. Genesis 12, and this is in Haran, the land where his father had settled. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then, same chapter, at Shechem, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Genesis 13, now in Canaan, having parted from Lot. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Genesis 15. It would appear, by the way, in a place called the King's Valley is where this was said. The Lord took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis 17, God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. 
No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Genesis 18 before the destruction of Sodom. Then the Lord said, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And finally, this is Genesis 22, a lot of listening, I know. This is after the near sacrifice of Isaac. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. That was a lot I know, but let's kind of wrap it up. Because the ancient promise was to become a nation, to be blessed, to have a great name, and to be a blessing to all the nations. Abram himself would be a heavenly marker of blessing for all the peoples of the world to see. And it was to literal land, to the north and south, to the east and west, all the physical land that his eyes could see. It was a blessing of innumerable offspring, like the dust and stars and sand on the seashore, to be the father of many nations, to what I would call a vast fruitfulness. And this promise, this ancient promise, was to be a covenant, an everlasting covenant, to keep the way of the Lord by, no matter the cost, obeying his voice. My friends, that's where we're beginning today. Let's start over again. The ancient promise made to Abraham and his descendants that they should eventually possess the world was given not because of any achievements made through obedience to the law, but because of the righteousness which had its root in faith. Which is an interesting ordering of events that I I don't think I'd ever really noticed before until reading it this week. You have the ancient promise made to Abraham and his descendants that they should eventually possess the world. It is given, don't forget, not because of any achievements made through obedience to the law, but how? But why? Because of the righteousness, the righteousness of God, potentially bestowable upon mankind, but in what manner? Which had its root in faith, Paul writes. Hear it again. In faith. In the elemental mixture of God's promises, his righteousness, our potential righteousness and faith. Hear me say this very boldly. Faith comes 
first. It sets in motion our ability to be reckoned righteous and to walk with the righteous God and to enjoy the fruit of his promise. Friends, we must believe now. We must bring to bear the full weight of our confidence, our will, our hope, our trust, and believe. For what is at stake here? I'll continue to read. For if, after all, they who pin their faith to keeping the law were to inherit God's world, there it is, keep that in mind, it would make nonsense of faith in God himself and destroy the whole point of the promise. For we have already noted that the law can produce no promise, only the threat of wrath to come. And indeed, if there were no law, the question of sin would not arise. So, to sum up before we get to the deeply consequential glories of verse 16, here's the sum up. Faith in God himself, not a rote religious law observance, leads us into the righteousness of God. God himself gives it to us, along with his promise and his promises, which are, which is, inheritance of the kingdom or as Paul says it here, God's world. You see, right here with us, among us, within us, is the full, ready reality of the kingdom of God. And its inheritance, its promise and its promises, all its perfect, wondrous righteousness, all of those are immediately unlocked by what? Faith. Again, these are the stakes and the glories that are offered up here. All right. Oh, I get excited. We're going to continue to read. Listen to this. The whole thing then. And let me repeat with the appropriate level of emphasis. The whole thing then is a matter of faith on man's part and generosity on God's. And just in case you nodded off for a second there, let me just go ahead and reiterate again with the appropriate level of emphasis. The whole thing then is a matter of faith on man's part and generosity on God's. Friends, the whole secret of life eternal life, the veritable summit of both earthly and spiritual experience is surmounted when we possess ourselves and then choose to believe. And God can lean really no closer. I mean, he already is love, grace, and generosity incarnate than that he has already and, and just told us, I'm just waiting for you to believe. Because what does he then do? He lavishes his love, his grace, his generosity all over our lives. I'll say it again. When we aim our life and daily trust at him, he, from his side, from his essence, is ready to flood our lives with his grace. That is the whole thing then, as Paul opens this section. Let me keep reading. He gives the security of his own promise to all men who can be called children of Abraham, i.e., 
both those who have lived in faith by the law and those who have exhibited a faith like that of Abraham. To whichever group we belong, Abraham is, in a real sense, our father. As the scripture says, a father of many nations have I made thee. This faith is valid because of the existence of God himself, who can make the dead live and speak his word to those as yet unborn. Now, there are two words in the way J.B. Phillips rendered verses 16 and 17 that absolutely got me this week. From 16, security, the security of his own promise. And from 17, valid. This faith is valid because. And I'm not going to get into the way that Phillips made his translation decision about the particular pairing of a particular verb and adjective. Let me tell you, Jenny already got all the excitement of that this week. What I will say is that the security and validity go together. It is the validity of his security that makes our faith realistic and really reasonable. And keep in mind, when I'm saying security, I'm not talking about the quality or state of being secure, i.e. freedom from danger, freedom from fear. I'm talking about Merriam-Webster's definitions 2 A and B. Listen, something given, deposited, or pledged to make certain the fulfillment of an obligation, or simply surety. God's promise is our security our surety. It has been given, deposited, pledged to ensure our salvation's fulfillment. But a question for you, what makes it valid? What makes God's promises surety sure? Well, listen to the end of verse 17, if I can find it on the page here, which is always a challenge. This faith is valid because of the existence of God himself, who can make the dead live and speak his word to those who are yet unborn. Friends, who were those yet unborn to Paul? Us! And who is the word, and that would be with a capital W? Jesus! And who can make the dead live? Well, how about the resurrection himself? And who, for all time, proved the existence of God? I would say that man from Nazareth. What I get excited about in a faith that deals in God's grace, secured by his promise, valid because of his deathless existence, who, by the way, still speaks to generation after generation, is that the security here, pledged to make certain God's obligation is none other than our marvelous Savior himself. Do you understand how perfectly wonderful this whole arrangement is? God gave himself as surety to himself. And our faith is not in some nebulous, unknown cosmic entity The valid security for everything we believe and the source and goal of our daily trust is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, the one whose presence we may always freely enter into. 
This one who loves us, the one who has stood himself as security for mankind and for God. Jesus is the crossover point of the whole destiny of God and man. How's that for a thought? Let me keep reading a little bit. Abraham, when hope was dead within him, went on hoping in faith believing that he would become the father of many nations. He relied on the word of God, which definitely referred to thy seed. With undaunted faith, he looked at the facts, his own impotence. He was practically a hundred years old at the time and his wife Sarah's apparent barrenness. Yet he refused to allow any distrust of a definite pronouncement of God to make him waver. He drew strength from his faith and, while giving the glory to God, remained absolutely convinced that God was able to implement his own promise. This was the, quote, faith which was counted unto him for righteousness. When you consider the whole narrative of Abraham's life, especially the parts of his journey highlighted by Paul in this chapter, you start to realize that there are definite moments of hearty, full-hearted, clear-eyed belief. And yet also, throughout this whole thing, that the whole thing is just blanketed by his persistency in holding on to that daily, true trust. In fact, take these last five verses as an example. In the context of moments... I want you to listen to the phrases that point to what I would say are particular scenes. Listen. With undaunted faith, he looked at the facts. His own impotence. He was practically 100 years old at the time, and his wife Sarah's apparent barrenness. And then listen to this. At that moment, hope was dead within him. Yet he went on hoping in faith. To me, that could be a whole other talk, how hope and hopefulness are really lesser quantities than faith, trust, belief. But for now, I want us to look at the persistent, I call them all along statements that Paul makes about how Abraham's faith pervasively persisted all along. So listen, all along, he was believing that he would become the father of many nations. All along, he relied on the word of God, which definitely referred to thy seed. All along, he refused to allow any distrust of a definite pronouncement of God to make him waver. All along, he drew strength from his faith and all along, while giving the glory to God, all along, remained absolutely convinced that God was able to implement his own promise. And thus, all along, this was the faith which was counted unto him for righteousness. And then I want you to listen to how Paul then wraps all of this up. Listen. Now, this counting of faith for righteousness was not recorded simply for Abraham's credit, but as a divine principle, which should apply to us as well. It's as if Paul is saying to us, so listen very closely to what I'm about to write. Faith 
is to be reckoned as righteousness to us also, who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered to death for our sins and raised again to secure our justification. Securing our justification by virtue of the fact that he is alive and able to intercede in heaven and within our own hearts for the holiness he's made possible. How? By he himself dying for our sins, ending the former bondage of sin, the law, death, all because he knew perfectly well that the Father would raise him up. And now, you and I are called to uh, once for salvation and every single day to experience eternal life every day, believe, trust, and have faith in him. For it is by our own belief, trust, and faith in Jesus the Christ, following in the footsteps of Father Abraham, that righteousness, do you remember this? Is reckoned unto and deposited within us. Back in January, earlier this year, I was reading a fictionalized memoir of the Emperor Hadrian. And even though I didn't particularly love the book this was in, I have not been able to shake a particular line the author wrote. Listen. I have come to think that great men are characterized precisely by the extreme position which they take and that their heroism consists in holding to that extremity throughout their lives. Let me read that one more time. I have come to think that great men are characterized precisely by the extreme position which they take and that their heroism consists in holding to that extremity throughout their lives. Friends, Abraham's life was characterized by an extreme position of trust in the Lord God. And his greatest heroism was in holding to that extremity of belief until his dying day. I'd like to argue that you and I will find our lives most full, most interesting, and possibly, who knows, maybe even great, when with that sort of extremity, we endeavor to believe in the very same way. Should we go try it this week? Thanks for listening.